we're looking at what's in a name. So take a look at your notes there. Uh, you know, we talk about names. Many people like to change their name. How many of you, when you were younger, you know, thought about different names that you would want or names that you would, yeah, Todd, what, didn't, did you, I, what? Anything but Todd? You're fine with Jerome? You were fine with, huh? Anything but Todd Jerome, yes, yes. Some some people just, well, you know what you need to do? You need to go by TJ. You know, some people uh, just use initials. There's a famous New Testament uh, scholar by the name of, that goes by F.F. F. Bruce. Now, here's why. His name is Frederick Fivey. Now, you know, Frederick Fivey Bruce. Any wonder why the guy goes by F.F. F. Bruce? Uh, there's a church planner guy downtown uh, that goes by A.J. Vanderhorst. And his real name is Ariel James. He was raised by hippies. Uh, most of you have heard of J.R.R. Tolkien. How many know what that stands for? The real geeks here. Come on, Todd. John Ronald Rule. And Rule is a Old Testament biblical name. I used to know what it means. Something about God. And then uh, famous C.S. Lewis. How many know what C.S. Uh, CS stands for? Clive Staples. Okay, CS, I can see the, the reason. Some people prefer uh, nicknames. Uh, do you know who William Franklin Graham is? Billy, yeah, he went by Billy, always went by Billy. Others insist on using all three names. George Bernard Shaw. Isn't that weird? We all know that. But, you know, hey, I just, so we could, we could just always do Todd Jerome Adrian. Just always call you that. You're okay with it now? You've dealt with it. Others use nicknames that mean nothing in relation to their true names. Who who knows who Denton True Young is? Yeah, there you go, Kirk. I knew you would know that. That was Cy Young. Cy Young. And then uh, how many of you know who Maisie Owen Dillander is? (laughs) Maisie Owen Dillander. I mean, that you know, according to Facebook, there is so much I could do with that, Laura, but I will not get myself in trouble. But... uh, you haven't settled on the middle name, Maisie Owen Dillander. Uh, well, the point is, many people uh, many people don't know that God has a special name. Uh, he has many names, but he has a very special name, and that's what we're looking at. Last week, Jerry kicked us off and did an outstanding job. And if you look in your notes, what's in the names of God is revealed in the Old Testament. What's what's in these names? Well, Jerry went over that. If you look, there's a there is a chart over there that kind of covers everything that he taught and more. I'm sure. And so there you go. There it is. It really traces you through the history of the Bible. When you look at Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, that's the Hebrew word Elohim. It's the majestic maker of everything. And that's how God reveals himself in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. He is basically creating, creating. And then comes the name El Shaddai, uh, which has to do with God being the mountain mover. And he revealed himself this way to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he made promises to them. And in making those promises, he said, look, when I make this promise, nothing, no one, nothing can stand in the way. Whatever obstacles, whatever mountains may get in your way, I can move those mountains. You can be too old to have kids, and I will enable you to have the promised child. You may have two boys that are sibling rivalries and one's a deceiver and the other's a a lustful guy that just pursues whatever's temporary and whatever will satisfy his flesh, but I can work through that situation. You can have 12 sons and they can be jealous of the favored one and he can be thrown in prison and he can be left for dead and I can use that to deliver your people. He's the mountain mover. He's El Shaddai. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. I have also established my covenant with them. And that's Genesis 12 through 50. But then you come to the book of Exodus. And the people of God are in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. They're under a Pharaoh who does not know Joseph. They are suffering. They are crying out to God. They're wondering where the majestic maker of their nation is. They're wondering where the mountain mover is because there's all, the mountain's getting bigger and the obstacles are getting greater. 
And that's when God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 3 and in Exodus 6 by that most special name of God. Because Moses says to him, as God appears to him in the burning bush, who will I say that you are? Who, when Israel asked me, who is this God that is going to deliver us? Who do I say that you are? And God reveals that most special name of all, and he says, I am. I am who I am. I am the I am God. And he reveals himself that way in Exodus 3, Exodus 6. You have the, you have the verses there in your notes. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me. I am the mountain mover. I am the majestic maker of all things. But I am also Yahweh. I am the mercy shower. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. And then in Exodus 6, he says this. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Or literally, I am the I am who I am. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, Lord, or I am, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant. I have remembered my covenant. Now, it's interesting in that statement. It sounds as though he never, he never had revealed the name Lord or I am or Yahweh at any time prior to that. But if you look in your Bibles, in Genesis 2... Uh, the, the, the special name of God. It's used all throughout. It, it's not that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had never known God's name as Yahweh or as I am. It's just that they hadn't experienced Him in that way. Let me illustrate it this way. Probably many of us in this culture and sitting here in this room knew the name Jesus before you got saved. You knew the name. You may even have used the name. Probably in explicitives and, and, and taking his name in vain, but you knew the name of Jesus. But then God revealed himself to you. Then God revealed how we are in bondage to sin. God revealed the guilt of your sin. God revealed that you needed a Savior. And suddenly the name Jesus took on new meaning because God revealed himself not just as Jesus, a religious figure, but Jesus, who is the great I am, who is able to save you. And suddenly the name Jesus took on blessed meaning. It took on real meaning. It took on experiential meaning. So that's the idea here. They knew this name of God, but it wasn't until they were in bondage to slavery and they needed a redeemer, they needed mercy, they needed a God who would remember His promises and set them free. Suddenly, the name Yahweh, the name I Am, took on new meaning because they actually experienced it in their own lives. That's my goal. That's my passion for this series. That this I Am God, this name Yahweh, will not just be a name but it will take on new meaning in your life because God's going to reveal Himself to you. And you're going to experience God through His name, through the teaching of His Word in this series, in ways that you haven't yet. I can't accomplish that with a lesson outline. I can't accomplish that with videos. I can't accomplish that with the best of speaking skills that anyone could master. Only God can do that. You need a burning bush experience. You need to see God. And you're going to have to be as curious as Moses was. I read this this week, that this calling of Moses, this revelation of the name began with a curiosity. He saw a burning bush that did not burn out, and he said, I'm going to go see what that is. And it wasn't until he took some initiative to pursue and to see what God is like. So I hope you put yourself into this series that you put effort into, I want to learn some of this. And real, real, I'm telling you, I was telling Jerry, I said, I have studied this. I, I know the impact of this. I know what this name means, but to explain it, I'm a loss for words. So we, we need God's help to do this to us. 
And so we're going to look at Yahweh. Now, let me, in Exodus 6, in Exodus 6 is where God really reveals this name to, to Moses. And I just want to highlight Exodus 6, 6 through 8, and show you why mercy shower, and to show you why God really moving to deliver his people. In Exodus 6 through 8, uh, Exodus 6, Verses 6 through 8, he says, I am the Lord, I am the great, I am God. He says it three different times. But in those three short verses, he makes seven statements that really encompasses what it means to be the mercy shower, the I am God. He says these six things. I will bring you out. That is of slavery, of bondage. I will deliver you. From your bondage. I will redeem you. I will buy you out of slavery. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you for a possession. I will. I will. I will. Why? Because I am. I am. I am. That's just some powerful stuff here. So I'm sure. I got great responses from you guys. Always get good responses from Jerry's teaching, but exceptional responses this past week, so I know you got this. Let's look at Yahweh. The name, the Jews, I want to hit these again, because we're going to look at eight statements today. We're going to look at eight statements about what I am really means. And to do that, as we look at these verses, you got to keep in mind what Jerry went over last week, and that was this was a name the Jews considered too holy to speak. God's so holy, I don't even want to use his name. Now, that was an overreaction to God's holiness. That is not what God intended. It's just what they did out of reverence for God. The problem, though, is when you go beyond what God wants, even with the best of motives, it goes wrong. Okay? So they didn't want to pronounce it. So in the Hebrew, you only had consonants, no vowels. When the Hebrew was written out in the original text, no, all consonants, no vowels. So, we're going to use the screen so I can't write up here. So, you had Y-H-W-H, okay, Y-H-W-H, or some think Y-H-V-H, okay. So, it's all consonants. that's That's the name of God, I am. It's the Hebrew verb that means to be, I am. Well, because they didn't want to pronounce that, they would write underneath it Adonai, which means my Lord or Lord. And so, every time they came to the name of the special name of God, they were they would say, my Lord, instead of pronouncing the name. Well, over time, the vowels from Adonai seeped into the consonants of the Hebrew. I know it's getting freaky, but it's facts. You need to know about it. And what that came up with in English was Jehovah. You ever heard, heard Jehovah? And, and, and if you witness to people that are involved in cults, and uh, uh, organiz- and groups like that, they'll always get all wrapped up in Jehovah. And the ironic thing is that's not even a revealed name of God. That's the, the vowels of Adonai seeping into the consonants of the Hebrew word, and they come up with Jehovah. So it's a name that they consider too, too holy to speak. It's a name that many cannot agree on how to pronounce. And the reason being is the, the confusing, convoluted story I just told you. Okay, If you're confused, that's where you ought to be because it is confusing. So no one knows how to pronounce it. So in your older translations, as Jerry mentioned last week, it would be translated in the King James as Jehovah. It's right there. But just understand, that's not even a Hebrew word and that's not God's revealed word. So then, as scholars began to study this, they said, hey, that's not really the way we should translate that. And the best guess that we have is Yahweh, A-Y-A-W-E-H, Yahweh. So when you hear me say that, it's this name that is the Hebrew to be, I am, Yahweh. Well, as we progress in translations and we try to make things more clearer and clearer, some translations began to translate it as simply what it means. I am, okay? So, and you're like, well, if this is confusing, that's okay. One uh, famous Hebrew scholar wrote three books on the Old Testament, you know, on the Old Testament books, on about the Old Testament Bible. And in one book, he used Yahweh. In one book, he used Lord. 
And one book he used, I am. So, you know, Bruce Walkie can't make up his mind. So we, we, you can pick what you want. All right. Now, the name is translated several ways in English. And we're going to see this in the verses that, that we look at today. And so the most common way is since the Hebrews used Lord, and we really don't know how to pronounce this word, that's what in many of your Bibles, it's Lord in all caps. Got me? And sometimes it's not all caps, it's, it's like all caps, but small, small, large caps. All right, you got me? Look in your Bibles and see what your Bible does with it. Now, the Holman Christian Standard Bible has, which I think is a good idea, opted to start translating it Yahweh. The only problem is they don't do it all the time, which really aggravates me. And I don't know quite why they do that. They started doing it, but they don't do it all the time. If there's one thing I want you to get in the weeks to come, or really out of last week and this week's lesson, is that when you see LORD in all caps, I want you to stop yourself in your Bible reading and say, I am. I want you to see that. I want you to think through that. Don't just gloss over LORD. Think, I am. I am. It's a name that means more than anyone can put into words. And I have a summary there of of, of, uh, what... I hope you took away from last week. I am the creator redeemer who is the ultimate promise keeper and mercy shower to those who put their trust in me and call on my name. I am who I am and I will be what I will be when you need me. So trust me and call on your name. Let's worship the Lord for a little bit. So as we look at this video, we're going to do some worshiping through this series. So I just want you to take a look at this song. I want you to concentrate on the words Let's listen to this. Let's worship the great I am.
Amen, man. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? To worship our God and to see His names. But what I want to see, I want you to see this today, is how Yahweh, the I Am God, I want you to see what it means. So let's look at your notes. What's in the name? What's in the name of Yahweh? What's in the name of Yahweh is revealed in the Old Testament. So we're not looking at the I Am statements just yet in the New Testament. We're not... Looking at Christ just yet, although you got a sneak peek there in the video, we're looking at the I Am God is revealed in the Old Testament, Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H. Notice again these three verses there in your notes. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord in caps. Therefore, I want you to stop and what is he saying? He's saying, I am the I Am. See, if you'll slow down and think through that, you're like, wow, that's just mind-blowing. I am the I am. God, help me to know what that means, because my puny little head can't get its, 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 its brain around that. And then in Exodus 6.6, 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the I am. And then again, it says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the I am your God. I am the I am. He just keeps on saying it. So what does it mean? Over 160 times in the Old Testament, the Lord says, I am the I am. 71 times just in Genesis through Deuteronomy. So let's take a look at it. The I am, I am, the I am God means, number one, I am self-existent. I am self-existent. When God says I am, he's saying I am, period. Now that's profound. Listen to Isaiah 44, 6. Now I've, I've, I put all the verses down because if we looked all these up, we'd never get through this lesson. So the verses are there. It's not because I don't want you to use your Bible. I want us to do that, and we typically do that. But the verses are there. And then I've made in bold the I am words. Okay? Now look at Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the I am, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the I am of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. God needs no one else or nothing else in order to exist. I am. I don't need anything else. I just am. Before anything was created in the universe, I am. Who made God? No one. I am. Where did God come from? I am. Beautiful. Mind-blowing. Any question you ask to God, the answer is, I am. Because I am self-existent. Our God is the I am self-existent God. And here's what it means. You want a practical application? He does not need us. He did not create us because He was lonely. He did not create us because He needed someone to worship Him. He does not need us. But He wants us. Wow. He didn't need you. But He wanted you. You don't add anything to Him. He simply wanted to share Himself with you. Beautiful. Beautiful. It puts Him in His place. It puts us in our place. And we can properly appreciate and exalt and praise Him when we understand He is self-existent. He doesn't need us, but He wants us. Number two, I am the I am God means I am personal. It means I am personal. I am is a first personal pronoun. I, I, you, I, you and I is we. I'm a personal God. I am a personal God. Look at Deuteronomy 32, 39. 
This really gets freaky. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. And he's emphasizing, I am a personal God, and you can know me. God is a person. Now, this is a big deal. He's not a force to be manipulated, so you can scratch Star Wars. He's not a religious idea to be invented and then rejected as man desires. He's not a religion. He's not a religious concept that we can easily grow out of and discard. He is not a theological concept to be debated and categorized. He is a personal God. And that puts us, that puts him on a whole different playing field. It means this self-existent one is personal at the same time. He's a personal being. And aren't you glad that he is? Because he can be talked about in the Bible in ways that relate to us humanly. Aren't you glad that you can read in the Bible where God has feelings? He has emotions. He, he can be considered... He, he's often called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. The angel of the I Am. And he appears in human form. We, it's really, it's not described in detail, but the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament stood in the way of the prophet Balaam and he had a sword in his hand. That's like a man. In another place, he sits under an oak tree. That's like a man. I, I can't explain all that to you. We did a whole study one time showing that the angel of the Lord is probably the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. But my point is this. The I am God, though He is so powerful, so amazing, so transcendent, so self-existent, He's still personal, personal enough that we can be made in His image and He can be talked about in human ways without making Him less than God. That's a glorious thing. The God of Islam is not a personal God. The God of of Hinduism, the God of Buddhism, the, the, the concepts of a higher power, their impersonal forces, they can't, they can't understand us. We, have a diff, we can't relate to them. They can't relate to us. We have a personal God. God is so personal that He can enter into history and take on the very nature of humanity and never cease to be God. The I am God is so personal that there can be a Christmas. The I am God is so personal that there can be an Easter. Isn't that cool? Exodus 6.6 6 says this, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the I am. We as people can relate to this. So here's the, here's the point. Our God is the I am personal God. We are made in His image. We can relate to Him. He can relate to us in a very personal and intimate way for which we should be very, very thankful. Thirdly, when he says, I am the I am God, he means I am life. I am. I am life. I am means I'm alive. You know, when he says I am, he's saying I exist. I, I'm living. And not only am I living, but I'm the source of life and all that lives. Listen to Isaiah 41.4 in the Net Bible. Isaiah 41.4. Who acts and carries out decrees? Who summons the successive generations from the beginning? I, the I am, am present at the very beginning and at the very end. I am the one. Who brings forth creation? The I am God. Who brings each generation into existence? Who gave life to Maisie Owen? It's the I am God. And he brings successive generations. You know I'm going to call her Owen. She's going to say, why is that man at church always call me Owen? Uh, the uncle's going to do it too? That's his name. So we can just name, you know, we can just name, I'm going to name her Chris. I'm just going to call her Chris all the time. Chris, how you doing? I got to meet the uncle. Bring him to church sometime. Okay, I am life. I am. He's the one. That, listen, listen. The I am is the one that breathes life into us. And listen to me. We don't think about this a lot, but the I am is the one who takes life from us. The giver of life is also the one who has the right to take life. 
Listen to Deuteronomy 32:39. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver you out of my hand. You see, when he gives life, no one has the right to take it. And when he takes life, no one can bring it back. That's the proof and the power of what we're going to see in I am the resurrection and the life. But listen, but you know, if you dwell too much on that, you're like, wow, this is a fearful God. He gives life and he takes life and he just sounds like he's, you know, he's the grand puppet master. And I don't know if I want to draw near to a God like that, but listen to Exodus or Ezekiel 18.23. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord I am? And not rather that he should turn from his way and live. You see, God gives life and he has to take life because sin, the wages of sin is death. But he doesn't take pleasure in taking life. He is a life-giving God. He is the I am. I live and I want all who come into me, into my presence, all who I relate to, I want to give life to. So here's the point. Our God is the I am alive God. Apart from him is only death, but in him there's everlasting life. Listen, if you do not know the I am God, then you do not have life. And if you know the I am God this morning, then you have the offer of everlasting abundant life. Are you enjoying it? Are you pursuing it? Are you experiencing it? This is what's really cool. When we go and look at the seven I am statements, One of the things that hit me as I worked through these week after week and doing these studies is how every one of the I am statements is related to life. Listen to this. I am the bread of life. I am the light of life. I am the door and all who enter will have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the only one that doesn't use the literal word life is I am the true vine, yet all who abide in me will bear fruit, and fruit is the product of life. So no matter what word picture we're going to see, it's all about life. They're all pictures of life. How's your life? Is it more abundant? Because of the I am God. Number four. When God says I am the I am God, he means I am unchanging. I like this one. I am unchanging. What in your life does not change? (laughs) What in your life is unchanging? Or let me ask it this way. What in your life do you wish would never change? Do you realize how much time and how much money we invest, how much time, money, and thought in trying to make things remain the same? Our looks, our cars, our children, our work situation, our retirement funds. See, it's really interesting when you think about it. We spend a lot of time and money trying to make things stay the same or change the future. I mean, think about how we say it. I I, want to keep things the way they were. If there's ever a defeatist statement, think about that. I want to keep things right now the way they were. They've already changed. And yet when God says, I am, he means he always was, he always is, and he always will be. He doesn't live in a a past, he doesn't live in a future, he lives in a present, all-consuming present, I am. Where were you? I am. Where are you going to be? I am. I am. Who I am. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the beginning and the end. His existence, his personality, his life. His promises, they never change. Why in the world, and I speak to myself, are we so tempted 
and give in to the temptation so often to attach our hopes and dreams, whether it be a person or a product or a pleasure of this life, put our, anchor our hopes and dreams to things that are so fleeting when we have the I am God standing there saying, anchor yourself to me and I will never change. I will never fail you. I will always be what I always am. Wow. Wow. Listen to Malachi 3.6. This is in the Holman Christian Bible, so they translate it as Yahweh. Listen to this verse. Because I, Yahweh, or you could say, because I, I am, have not changed, you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. You just, you got to stop and put your name in there. It is because our God is the I am God who is unchanging that you and I are not toast burning in hell right now. You say, yeah, but I, I got saved in the past. Yeah, and because he hasn't changed, and though we are sinning less, we are not sinless, we are not destroyed because he does not change. Our God is the I am unchanging God. What else in this life can make that claim and keep that promise? What are you pursuing? What are you giving your time and your energy to? Is it things that moths are going to eat up, that rust can destroy, that man can take from you? Or are you anchoring your passion, your pursuit, and your pleasures on the unchanging God who can keep a promise that I will always be, I am. Number five, when God says I am the I am God, he means I am reality. I am reality. Okay, we're going to get a little philosophical, philosophical freakish. I am means God is real. I am. What, who, what did the guy say? I think, therefore, I am. Yeah. When God says, I am, he's saying, I'm real. And not only am I real, but I dictate what reality is. He is. He is not a figment of anyone's imagination. He's, he's simply, and, and he's not simply real when we think he's real. He's not simply real when we feel like he's real. Man, we are an emotion-driven, based, dependent culture. And if I feel it, it's real. If I don't feel it, it's not. That's not the case with God. He is real. He is I am, even when he feels far away. Even when you haven't heard him speak. Even when you don't sense him in his word. He is. See, sometimes we want to think God is only real when he does what we approve of. God's real because he's acting in a way that I approve of, that I like. And yet God's real even when he does things that we don't like. Yahweh is reality, and that means what he says is reality, whether we want to admit it or not. So I, 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 I want to share with you a couple verses. Listen to these verses. One is Jeremiah 2:22. Listen to Jeremiah 2:22. Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap. Now, I have, you know, I have a faint mental understanding of lye soap. Never washed with it, never was washed with it, thankfully, but maybe maybe there are some who 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 I will not look at anyone. Maybe there are some that that know what lye soap is. But the point is, think of bleach. Think of getting really clean, burning clean, right? Am I right? Am I right, Cheryl? Burning clean. Now, listen to what it says. Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord I am. See, now that's just power. In other words, I don't care what you say about your sin. It is sin because I declare it to be sin. See, we can redefine it. We can try to legislate it away. Our government and our culture is trying to legislate away what is sin and what is not. 
And you know what the I am God says? I am reality. And what I declare to be righteousness is righteousness. And what I declare to be sin is sin. And you can try to wash it off. You can try to work your way out of it. You can hope to be a better person. But you are still in your sin. I am reality. Now, again, that side of God sounds a little harsh. It's like, well, how can I, you know, I mean, does he want to keep me that way? No, let me show you another verse. Isaiah 118. Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the I am. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Isn't that beautiful God, our God? See, that's the both sides of our God. He's a God of judgment and salvation. And if you don't embrace both, then you don't embrace who he really is. And here's what he says. You can deny your sin, but when I declare it to be sin, it's sin. But here's the good news. When you are in sin, when I declare you clean, you are clean. And that's real. And that's reality. Listen to Ezekiel 3.11. And go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them and say to them, listen to this, Thus says the Lord, I am, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Now, if you know anything about the ministry of Ezekiel, Jeremiah, these guys were preaching the word of God to the people of God, and they were rejecting it. And they were trying to form their own reality of who God is and who they were. And here's what he says to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, you go and say what the I am says, and whether they listen to you or not, it's true, it's real, you keep speaking. Now, what's this mean? Our God is the I am reality God. Having an abundant, fulfilling, and satisfying life apart from Him is simply a temporary fantasy and not an eternal reality. Because He determines what real. See, here, here, here the, the, the deceptive thing about life is this. There's a lot of people who do not know the I am God who are living, fulfilling, satisfying lives and will do so until the day they die. But death will come, and it comes sooner than we all think, and when it comes, they will enter into real reality, ultimate reality. And that temporary, satisfying, fulfilling life will seem like but a vapor compared to all of eternity in a godless, Christless hell. And suddenly they will say, that satisfying, abundant life I had, it was a fantasy. It wasn't real. This is real. Oh, that I could go back and make different decisions. And on the other hand, for us who are believers, we may not have the most satisfying, fulfilling life here and now. And we may be tempted to look for pleasure apart from the I am God. But one day we will die sooner than what we think. And when we do, we will enter into a greater reality of who God is and what all those pleasures and all that abundance and all that life. And we'll go, wow, that temporary lack of satisfaction in earthly life is nothing, nothing compared to the eternal fulfillment that I have in the I am God. Number six, I am the I am God means I am necessity. I am necessity. If he is reality, then he's what we really need. I am means God is what we really need in this life and in the life to come. I love Isaiah 46, 4. Listen to this verse. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear and I will carry and will save. Since God is self-existent, personal, alive, unchanging reality, then we cannot go through life without him and not get all messed up. Listen, if you go through life... Without the great I am, it means you miss out on the best that life has to offer. We'll miss out on what is unchanging. We'll miss out on what is real. We'll miss out on what is really abundant and satisfying. Now, I have the seven I am statements there that we're going to study eventually. And as you look at these, these seven I am statements are invitations to have your deepest needs met. Are you hungry today? Are you spiritually hungry? I am the bread of life. Are you 
blind? Do you not see your way forward? Let me illuminate you. I am the light of the world. Are you excluded? Do you feel left out? Do you feel ostracized? Then let me open myself for you. I am the door. Are you lost and without direction? Let me lead you. I am the good shepherd. Are you dying? Then let me raise and revive you. I am the resurrection. Are you troubled? Well, let me comfort you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Are you barren? Are you lacking in fruit? Then let me nourish you. I am the true vine. Our God is the I am necessary God. There's a difference between what we want and what we really need. God is what we really need. The I am God does not mean I'm going to give you everything you want, but it means that I am what you really need. And then number seven, I am trustworthy. I am trustworthy. How can we not trust a God who is all these things? I am he who comforts you. And who, and who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is like grass? I will be what I be, what you really need in times of crisis, confusion, conflict, or celebration. I am the I am God. Now, look at Isaiah 26, 4. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the I am forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. If you look at Lord God, they're, they're both caps. What's that mean? Whoa. I mean, I had to verify. I looked this up again in the Hebrew to verify this. And that's, you know what he's saying there? He says, trust in the I am forever. For the I am I am is an everlasting rock. And it literally says, trust in, the, trust in Yahweh forever, for the Yah Yahweh is an everlasting rock. All he's doing is driving the, trust me, I am. Trust me, I am. The next verse says the same thing. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God, Yah Yahweh, is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And look at Isaiah 31, 15, 30, 15. For thus says the Lord, I am, the Holy One of Israel. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. Who you trust in this morning? Number eight, I am. The I am God means I am holy. I am holy. Now look at these verses. These I'm just going to read. Let the Word of God penetrate and explain this. what this means. For thus says the Lord, I am, the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. Deuteronomy. See now that I, even I, I am He, and there is no God beside me, and there is none that can deliver you out of my hand. Isaiah 44. Thus says the I am the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the I am of hosts. I am, besides me, there is no God. Isaiah 42, I am the I am, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 43, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. And then Isaiah 43. Even from eternity I am He, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? Is that awesome? You know what God does in your life? No one can reverse. What God declares about you, no one can, can change. He is the holy God. He is unique. There is no one like him. No one even compares. There's nothing that even exists that compares. And whoever claims to be God must prove that he or she is as great as the I am God. Wow. So here's what it means. Our God is the I am holy God. I am who I am and I will be what I will be when you need me. So trust me and call on me. So... We can answer the question now. What's in a name? Everything. Everything you will ever need in your life is found in our God, the I Am God. I want to end, and here's the invitation. Listen to Isaiah 52.6. Here's the response. Isaiah 52.6. Therefore, my people 
shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. And here's the invitation. Here I am. Here I am. Self-existent, personal, unchanging, alive, real, trustworthy, holy. Here I am. Come to me. Enjoy me. Experience me. That's just good stuff. That's just good stuff. Let's pray. Father, we come and our understanding is like a thimble and you're like the ocean. Our understanding is like a grain of sand and you're like the universe. And yet you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, I pray that whatever we're going through, wherever we are, that these statements of revelation of who you are would would sink into our soul, that you would reveal yourself to us through this, and that we would grow. And now when we read our Bibles and we see those words in all caps, we will stop and we will pause and we will worship. We will worship you as the I am, who I am, God. And we will understand, Lord, that whatever is hanging us up, whatever is consuming our thoughts, whatever is tempting us, we can bring to you and you are greater and you are more worthy. And We just come, Lord and ask that you would just invade our lives with who you really are. It's in the name of the great I Am. Ultimately, the name of Jesus, Yahweh is salvation, that we come and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.